Okay. Name a time period you would like to live in, but assume music is not the contributing reason. That's hard. <laughs> I know. That's why I asked it. I guess in that case, I'd have to go off fashions. That's fair. In which case, unfortunately, my body is very suited for 50s fashions. So that is true. We're going to have to go with 50s. <laughs> I understand. I think I would probably go 60s. And it's not even because of music. Like, I truly am fascinated by the world in the 60s because it was just a wild ride. Just a wild ride. Like, so much was happening. Like, you had civil rights in Vietnam. I would also go to the 80s because the 80s has some amazing movies that's happening. true too i also go to the 1920s because i think that's also a fascinating time because the world they were just living it up before the stock market crashed they're just vibing yeah not drinking but, but they're, they're vibing, vibing. <laughs> well they were drinking without the government knowing yes they were legally drinking yes anyway i'm bethann and i'm leah this is she will rock you where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat. This is bad. We're on page one, guys. This is She Will Rack You. This has been the least exciting cold opens. Yeah, sorry, sorry. guys. It, we had such long outlines, like mine was exactly an hour. And it's probably going to get cut down to like 50 minutes. Yeah. And just long episodes. It's just, it's just a lot to cover. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything that we need to talk about. So we're going to jump right into this week's topic, which when I looked back today at the brainstorm sheet that Bethann and I started before we made the first episode, this was my number one pick. And today we're talking about Motley Crue. And do you know much about Motley Crue's history? literally there's like i barely know their music okay this let is gonna alone, be a wild ride let alone their history i just know like two things one they're partier dudes and then two like they had some weird nickel back like like backlash in the 2000s where people were like you guys should just not be a band yeah we're gonna talk about that so this is the part where I normally say, hey, I read this awesome thing or I listen to this awesome podcast. Yeah. Go do it. In this case, I read Motley Crue's book that they published, The Dirt, which I have issues recommending to people strictly because it is. I have a high tolerance for reading insane shit. This is the most insane shit well, I've ever read. This is the book where you had the Aussie. Yes. Quote so. From. If it makes, if it gives any context, Ozzy snorting ants and licking up his own urine is tame in this book. You're kidding me. No. It literally opens up with like an orgy in their apartment. (laughs) So. What introduction? Well, there was an orgy in the apartment the other day. It's much worse than that. Read it. It is great to hear their own account. I mean, obviously they had an editor, but they each wrote their own chapters. It's told from all four points of view. It's also told from their manager's point of view. Uh, I love it for that reason, but God, these guys are fucking insane. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to describe to you. What I'm going to tell you in the next 10 pages is not going to do justice. Just how insane these guys are. And so read it, but proceed with caution and know it has like an X rating. Um, 
same with the dirt on Netflix. Do not watch it with your parents. <laughs> um, so Motley Crue is what happens when you take four self-destructive main characters, put them in leather, mix them with cocaine, alcohol, and tragedy, and put them on stage. There. Um, trigger warning, we're going to talk a lot about drugs. Like, I know we talk about drugs a lot on this show, but this may take the cake for the most we're ever going to talk about. We're going to talk about death. We're going to talk about um, some various tragedies that happen. So this is one of the heavier episodes that we are making. So let us meet our Motley crew. You like that transition? I do like that transition. Uh, so the most main of the main characters, in my opinion, is Nikki Six. He was born Frank Carlton Serafino Ferrano Jr. Love that I got to Nikki Six one day. <laughs> it did not. It took him like Wait, does he have years. six names? No. No, that's not <sighs> how he got there. Uh, Nikki was partially raised by his single mother, Deanna Richards, and by his grandparents because his father just fucked off like the day after he was born and was yeah. like, I'm not going to do this. Um, but... Nikki always kind of resented his mom. And to be fair, his mom was not the most stable parent that could have ever existed. She literally just dumped him off with his grandparents at one point in Iowa or Idaho, like one of those I states that have nothing to do. Was she like a young parent at that point too? Yeah. And she had had another kid, um, which I don't think I mentioned. I, I may have mentioned this later, but she had had a kid previously before Nikki named Lisa who ended up she had down syndrome and she mm. just sent her off to an institution to live out her entire oh, life God. like yeah. the poor girl was uh, blind and mute and she didn't want to take care of her and so she just sent her off That's and nuts. Nikki didn't learn that she even existed until he was in his 30s oh wow um and like I said, they didn't have a stable relationship. At one point, Nikki stabbed himself and then framed her for it. Oh, shit. She said, if you report the pol- to the police, they're going to send you to juvie. And he said, fuck that. I'm not going to call the police if you promise. Just leave me alone. And so she did. Oh, okay. Great parenting. Um, but his mom was really into music and was actually a backup singer in Frank Sinatra's band for a while. Oh, cool. Uh, so like I said, he lived with his grandparents most of his like formative years. He played on the football team, which I think is hilarious in his little Idaho uh, high school. But he wasn't really good at making friends. And yeah. this fact was not helped by the fact that his grandpa insisted on cutting his hair into a flat top, <laughs> which was not popular in the 60s. No, it was not. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. So like he was... He had some anger issues in his childhood if the stabbing wasn't evidence of that. And yeah. so he's looking for something to like make him feel things. So he joined the football team that didn't fill his hole. Um, so he like started hanging out with stoner kids and listening to Deep Purple, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Elton yeah. John, Queen, Black Sabbath. But then he also went into this like glam rock phase of T-Rex, David Bowie and Slade. Mm-hmm. Um all the while, he becomes a teenage vandal, starts breaking into his neighbor's homes and shoplifting, oh, and was actually expelled from school for selling drugs. And his grandparents said, okay, maybe it's time that you leave Idaho and go live with your mother for a while. Yeah. So they ship him off to Seattle. And there, he just kind of like stopped going to school. He never like really officially dropped out. He just didn't go. Yeah. Um, and he wanted to join a band so badly that he lied to his friend and was like, yeah, I can be a bassist. So he does. 
Does he not know how to play bass? Not only that, he doesn't own a bass. <laughs> he pulled an Aussie, must have PA, and didn't have a PA. <laughs> so he walks into a music store with a guitar case, tells them that he wants to apply there, and while the kid is in the back looking for an application, he steals a guitar. Holy shit. Well, you didn't even steal a bass. He stole a guitar. No, so he shows it to practice. And his friend is like, you said you were a bassist. And he goes, this is a bass. I, I play bass on guitar. And they were like, dude, what the fuck? Get Holy out of here. Holy shit, that's amazing. So he sold the stolen guitar and used the money to buy an actual bass. Oh my god! Hopefully not from the store where he stole the guitar. But Incredible. there's another issue. He still can't play bass. <laughs> So he convinced a guy that he literally found on the street after a show at some like local venue. This dude's name is Gaylord. <laughs> and he immediately starts spending all his time learning bass and doing drugs with, with, this, with Gaylord. This dude he met on the street. <laughs> literally met on the street. Incredible. I guess he watched him play and was like, that guy knows what he's doing. Show Teach me the me. way. Show me the way. Um, at the age of 17... He's still going by, what's his actual name? Frank? Frank Jr.? Yeah. Frank Jr. moves to L.A. and starts working, like, random jobs. He <laughs> he worked at a liquor store, mm -hmm. which I'm pretty sure he got fired for from stealing. Or fired for from stealing. Mm -hmm. He would sell vacuum cleaners, which he would... <laughs> that was such a popular thing in the 60s. I yeah, never understood it, was, it. It was the original MLM. But he needed money so bad that he filled a water bottle with like water and dish soap and told people that he would scotch guard his carpets and charge them $5. It's normally $10, but if you paid him cash, it was $5. And he'd walk in and just sprinkle water on people's carpets. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why we're thinking this. He's an entrepreneur, man. This is, this is a businessman. Um, he's, he's genius. He joined a band called Sister. But he was fired immediately after they recorded a demo. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, so then he joined another band called London. And around this time is when he legally changed his name to Nikki Six. Because it was the ultimate fuck you to his father. Ooh. He, one day he's in LA and he's just like, I'm going to call my dad and like, Ooh. just like see if he wants to hang out. Because I guess he lived in LA. I don't remember exactly the details. Yeah. Um, but his dad said, I don't have a son and hung up on him, Oh, which is a lie because he had another son from another marriage, but that's... He just didn't want to... He didn't want to talk? He didn't, he didn't want to own up to who he was. Nope. So Nikki, like, he had a rough couple of days doing some drugs and taking it yeah, out. Yeah, I'm sure. And he finally said, fuck you. I'm going to reinvent myself. You weren't there for me. I'm going to become a new man called Nikki and create my own family. I understand that, though. But he stole his name... From a girlfriend's ex. <laughs> uh, he originally was going to call himself Nikki Nine, but a friend told him that wasn't rock and roll enough and six was much cooler, spelled with two X's. I mean, it is the devil's number, so. He is not wrong. Um, years later, the original Nikki Six. Wait, there was a different Nikki yeah, Six? Yeah, this is the kid, guy he this stole is, his this name is from. This is second Nikki Six? Yes. Oh, you're right. He did steal his name, but I was assuming he actually stole like... Nikki, the Nikki part. No, he stole the name Nikki Six. The first Nikki okay. Six. So Nikki Six Junior. First Nikki Six only had one X. Nick, Nikki Six Senior. Yes. So Frank Ferrano said Nikki Six is a cool name. I don't want to rip it off directly. 
I'll be Nikki nine. And then his friends are like, no, that's dumb. Go be Nikki six. If you're going to do this. So he's like, I'm gonna make it rock and roll and put two X's in it. <laughs> so the original Nikki six, some VH one or whatever found him and interviewed him. And this guy is fucking pissed that he stole his name to use it to spread the word of Satan because the original Nikki is a born again Christian. No! <laughs> no! Who wound up changing his name to John. <laughs> uh, we could end the episode here. We, ha- we have already like laughed as much as we do in most of our episodes. We've only met one member of the band. <laughs> Why do I not know more about... This is, this is a shame on me that I did not know more about this band Ooh. than I should have. Okay. Continue. I need to learn more. That is Nikki. Now let's meet Tommy Lee. He plays the drums. Tommy Lee was born Thomas Lee Bass on October 3rd, 1962 in Athens, Greece. Is this the Tommy Lee who's like the personality? Dude, okay. He was once married to... We'll talk about it. Pamela Uh, Anderson, right? Yep. Okay, yep. I know him. So he was born in Greece because his dad was in the military and they were there on a military assignment. They wound up moving back to the States when he was about one year old. Uh-huh. Um, but his mother is Greek. He, his dad met her when he was stationed there. Uh, fun fact about them, they got married within five days of meeting each other, oh. which is a tradition that Tommy kept in his life when he married Pamela Anderson. Mm-hmm. He received his first drumsticks when he was four years old and used them to beat on like upturned pots and pans like all kids do. But all cute kids, they grab the spoons. Tommy was dead serious about it. He eventually got a proper drum kit when he was a teen, but he bounced around through a bunch of different like interests and instruments. He and his sister, he and his sister, I think it's a sister, mm-hmm. not a brother. They both like would just change their interests really rapidly like like kids do yeah so they did ballet really hardcore for like two years and were convinced they're gonna be professional dancers he learned piano he learned accordion for a while which is just wild um but he he's really glad that his dad made him play piano because learning all the scales and stuff made it way easier when he came back to learn drums to learn the drums mm-hmm. um before he dropped out he was failing eighth grade, and so he and his buddies stole a teacher's grade book and set it on fire in the bathroom, <laughs> thinking that would solve their problems. I love that their mind didn't go to, let's steal the book so we can pass. Oh. It went to, fuck it, burn the whole damn thing. One kid shoved it down his shirt, all four asked to go to the bathroom at the same time, <laughs> and the principal Wait, found- were they in the same class? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's just not strategic planning. They're in eighth grade, okay? Eighth grade boys are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, it did not solve their problems. They still failed. Uh, he would go on to high school for a little while. Oh, he, I think he, no, he did. He dropped out, sorry. He would go on to high school for a little while where he joined what else? Drumline. Yeah. And he learned all the tricks that he would use in his motley playing, like the drumstick spins and... Yeah all those fancy moves so drumline can be cool mm-hmm. he would drop out at the nope he dropped out of high school to pursue music he grew up in la um like right outside of la yeah so he was able to start his first band uh in la called sweet 19 which is a terrible name in the late 70s sweet 19 regularly played the sunset strip circuit 
which they were playing alongside other acts such as Van Halen and Quiet Riot. Oh. What a time to be playing on the Sunset Strip. Yeah, for real. Also playing on that circuit was Sister and London, oh. where our boy Nikki's playing. And Nikki, obviously, the, when you're in the bands playing Sunset Strip, you're watching the other bands all the time yeah. and like stealing from them. And yeah, all those communities stealing their members. That's exactly what's going on, which is exactly what happened. Nikki saw Tommy and was like, I love this guy. He's crazy. And he had this like theatrical drum line style of playing. Yeah. And so uh, he. Nikki was like, let's be friends. So pause that that part of the story. Also around this time, Tommy dropped his last name Bass and just started going by Tommy Lee. But also he earned the nickname T-Bone because he's six two and a half and like super skinny. Yeah, he's a he's a tall dude. So I've never heard anyone call him T-Bone, but no. he insists he's called T-Bone. <laughs> All right, now our guitarist is Mick Mars. And he is the old man of the group. He's only three years older than everybody else. Mm-hmm. But as you'll see, he's just grumpy. My dude, he's not here for the shenanigans of the other. I mean, he has his own problems. Don't get me wrong. He's not here for the shenanigans of the other ones. So he's born with the name Robert Allen Deal in Terre Haute, Indiana. The most boring place. Terre Haute? Yep. Mm. You can come from. But uh, his family moved to California when he was little. He fell in love with guitar music when he went to a county fair and just saw some random cover band like playing and he was like i was three years old i became obsessed and i never thought about anything since wow so uh that next year i guess he wouldn't shut up about playing guitar so his mom bought him a mickey mouse guitar oh the mickey mouse guitar that wasn't really supposed to be used as like an actual guitar but he figured out that if he tightened the strings really tight they kind of sounded like they were supposed to smart kid and taught himself um and once they moved to california his mom would iron people's shirts for extra money and would only earn like two extra dollars a day, but she saved up enough to buy him his first real guitar, Aww. which cost $49. Oh, wow. That's a big price tag for... It's, it's an upgrade from the Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Um, in his late teenage years, he was actually diagnosed with like a rare form of arthritis called ankylosing spondylitis. Yeah. Which basically means your bones start to fuse together. Yeah. Which is super fun when you're 17. So he was in tremendous amount of pain it leads to lots of alcohol abuse later in his life yeah um but it because of this it when he's playing guitar it makes it really hard for him to move around the stage and he has this reputation of being like really either really mean or really shy or just really yeah. like not interested but the truth is it just really hurts him to play the guitar much less move oh, yeah. around so he just kind of just stands there and it's does his pa- thing it's painful to have those types of arthritis yeah in the book he so he played in like something like 20 different cover bands in a very short period of time. They all had like mm-hmm. a different thing. Like the one that he's in at this time is a Southern rock band called, I had to put this in here because of what he says. It's called spiders and cowboys, which he says on a scale of one to 10, as far as band names go was a 4.9. This which I think is being generous, Mick. Yeah. Uh, and I really don't have anywhere else to put this because we don't really talk about the personal lives, his personal life later, but he named his firstborn son, Les Paul. That's cute. Because he's a guitarist. He also dropped out of high school and began playing guitar 
and a series of very unsuccessful blues bands throughout the 70s. And sometimes he would use the name Zorky Charlemagne. Did you think that was going to be a stage name? Yes. Okay. Uh, and then he met this band called White Horse, and their vocalist was named Mickey Mars with a Z. And so he stole that and made himself Mick Mars. So they, they're all just stealing names over we here. We got a I bunch see. of creative boys here. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, we have Vince Neil, who I'm not going to talk about a lot yet, but we're going to talk about him later because he's got a lot of shit that happens. He's, he's born under the name Vincent Neil Wharton. He eventually drops his last name mm-hmm. in Hollywood, California and grew up in Compton. He's seen some shit. Yeah. Uh, prior to meeting the rest of the band, he was playing in a band called Rock Candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not great. Not great. He went to, to high school with Tommy, actually. So th- those two knew each other before all this started. Uh, and then your fun random high school story because he gets one too, is that he used to skip school all the time in high in junior high. So like eighth grade, Vince is skipping school. He would go get super drunk and then fall asleep on the beach. But then he would fall asleep with his hand on his stomach. So he spent most of his time as a teenager sunburnt with a white handprint on his belly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now let's get the band together. Yeah. Assemble them. So... After nearly 10 years of playing with the California music scene, our buddy Mick, currently Robert, mm-hmm. uh, he he reinvents himself. He dyes his hair jet black. It's not naturally that color. None of them have black hair. Yeah. Let me just preface that. Um, even though they all do in the photos. And he was like, I need something new. I'm tired of the stupid Spiders and Cowboys band. <laughs> uh, so in April 1980, he puts a wanted ad in the LA newspaper called The Recycler. And he describes himself as a loud, rude, and aggressive guitar player looking for a band. That's what you gotta say. So who else replies but Tommy and Nikki? Yeah. So they audition Mick. And after, so they have like another guitar player at the time mm-hmm. and Mick comes in just to like feel things out and Mick walks in, plays a couple songs and then tells the original guitar player to go home because there's only space for one guitar player and it's obviously him. Ooh. So, Ooh. uh, immediately after hiring him, they dye Tommy's blonde hair black so that he could match and they could be a trio of black haired guys. I love the thought. The thought process. (laughs) But they still need a singer. So they find this guy and his name's Odin. I don't know if that's his first name, his last name, or a nickname. That's all they call him. Uh, But everyone hates him. I don't even know why they hired the kid because they hated him from day one. Yeah. And so Mick's like, you know, there's this guy named Vince. He's he plays with rock candy. Like, let's go check him out. So they go check him out. They all love the way he can command Mm -hmm. the crowd. Um, and they wait till after the show and they're like, Hey Vince, can you come audition to be in our band? And he's like, sure. I was going to leave these stupid guys anyway. And so he shows up to a rehearsal one day with his then girlfriend who her name is Leah. I had to put that in here. Yeah. Uh, the band actually all hated her. They kept Vince and then made her leave. Ooh. Uh, but they hired him on the spot. Yeah. To be fair, the way they describe her, it's probably best they get rid of her. Yeah. Uh, so the band is officially formed and they start to work the L.A. club circuit of the legendary places of the Roxy, the Troubadour, yeah. the Whiskey A Go-Go. And they name themselves Motley Crue. 
which also comes from stealing things. Uh, Mick remembered someone referring to a band he was in like seven bands ago mm-hmm. as a motley looking crew. And he wrote that down with like the weird spelling. Yeah. And with he's the like, amulet over the U, right? There's one over the O and the U. Got it. And he was like, it's going to be a band name one day. And it was. It stuck. And one of their first big fans was David Lee Roth. Oh. Who would come watch their shows every night as Van Halen was getting started. And he actually gave them a lot of advice on how to get going like in the recording industry and getting a manager. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, the boys are like 21 to 25. Tommy's the baby. I think he's 21. Mick's 25, even though he acts like he's 50. Mm-hmm. And they're breaking all the attendance records at all these clubs. Like they cannot fit enough people in the Roxy to see these shows they also have no money mm-hmm. so they they make their own stage stuff as as every baby band does yeah gotta and get the cardboard out the motto is whatever looks cool and is cheap so this includes a blood-stained bed sheet that they spray painted their name on shit <laughs> a small plexiglass box that they could jump off of some voodoo heads and lots of colored tape. <laughs> uh, they wanted to impress. Them. I would love to know how much those voodoo dolls cost if they were cheap. Like, where are they getting them? <laughs> Probably some sketchy ass flea market in yeah. LA. <laughs> yeah. Or found them in a dumpster. Uh, they wanted to impress girls by being signed to a record label. Because so that's all that matters is am I impressing the ladies? They did what any sane band would do and invented their own label, Leather Records, spelled L-E-A-T-H-U with the umlaut R. You can't see, but I am literally just shaking my head back. <laughs> they are not signed. They literally just made this up. Um, they're also living in what I'm pretty sure is the nastiest apartment I have ever I can seen only and or read a description of. Like, I copied this straight from the book because I had no other way um, to to write it. Uh, quote, the place was crawling with vermin. If we ever wanted to use the oven, we had to leave it on high for a good 10 minutes to kill the regiment Holy of roaches living shit. inside. <laughs> we couldn't afford pesticides. Holy shit. So to exterminate the roaches in the wall, we take hairspray, hold a lighter to the nozzle, and torch the <laughs> bastards. <laughs> but of course we could afford or afford to steal important things like hairspray, because you had to have your hair jacked up if you wanted to make the rounds at the clubs. Uh, <laughs> I'm super I don't know how they did not burn this house down. No, exactly. They did eventually get evicted from that apartment because they did not pay rent for like eight months. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, they're too busy stealing hairspray. Eventually, they do get signed with a real record label, an LA-based record label called Electra, who will eventually fuck them over, but we'll get there later. Mm-hmm. They were signed pretty much purely because the exec that signed them, uh, he went to their show and was like, they can command this crowd, like, They've, they're bringing out more people than the Roxy's ever seen. And that record exec is Tom Zutout. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Yeah. He's going to be Tom from here on out. Tommy. No, can't be Tommy. Oh, can't be Tommy. We got Tommy. We got a Tommy. Um, I'd also like to point out that Tom, the man who signs them to this record label, is only 20 years old at this point. Mm. So young, young, young he's bo- like, I'm going to prove myself blood. to Electra. I'm going to sign a band that's going to make them a lot of money. 
um, and make his life hell. But yeah, mm-hmm. we'll get there. So Electra was like, okay, we'll sign you, but we're going to just remix your original lo- album that you put out on leather records yeah, <laughs> and make it a little bit better. So they do that. It doesn't do super great. The album's too fast for love. It's fine. It's not the most mind blowing album, but right. it's fine. But this is one of the first instances of Electra fucking them over because they, they like paid to make this album and then they do nothing to promote it. Because at the time, the label's main priority was this band called Cold Chisel from Australia. And they got all the promo dollars and oh, not Molly. Oh, man. I'm going to resituate here. Yeah, you're good. Molly on page four. Uh, so, where are we? So, around this time, Nikki had already started writing, like, the second album, which he wanted to call Shout with the Devil. Mm-hmm. So, he was researching some satanic shit. Well, I mean... So he bought a Necromicon. Oh my fucking God. And every now and then. Why you gotta go that hard? Every now and then Tom would stop by and be like, Nikki, are you sure you need to read this thing? And he's like, yeah, man, it's great. Well, then he kept stopping by and checking in on Nikki and Nikki would complain that things were going weird and knives and forks were sticking themselves into the walls. Well, I fucking wonder why. Have we not learned our lesson from Black Sabbath? You don't bring damn books in the house like, and expect not weird shit to go down. So Tom had to sit him down and be like, Nikki, please stop playing with dark magic. Things will not go well if you continue to do this. And so Nikki gets rid of the Necromicon, but still calls the record Shot of the Devil. <laughs> Why couldn't they just name Shout the Devil and then just make like a little devil icon do to be done with it? I don't know. Because if you listen to the album, it's not even that satanic. Like They just wanted to be cool. Compared to like Black Sabbath. That's or- fine. If you want to be cool, then be... Sure. Sure. Use the devil to be cool. Sure. Why not? It's a, it's a stereotype. Yeah. But like, why you gotta like be like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna mess with black magic. Because it seems fun. These boys do not make good decisions with their lives. (laughs) Uh, So because of this incident, or I don't know if it's actually because of this incident. I'm going to say it's because of this incident. Tom's like, maybe we should get you a manager. So they give him what will ultimately become the world's most insane babysitter. Doc McGee. Oh, Doc McGee. Bless Doc McGee. We'll talk more about him later. Um, so after they release, um, too fast for love, they're touring cause they never stop touring. Just assume at any given point yeah. during the next 20 years, Most they're touring. Don't. Yeah. Um, so th- this particular tour, they are opening for Ozzy bless Ozzy. Cause Ozzy is like their first big break. Yes. They're signed. Yes. They're from LA, but like no one else out of LA has heard of them. And so yeah. Ozzy like picked them to open for them and so they start by playing some just like one-off festivals and stuff and for some fucking reason their management just starts buying them cocaine so you can imagine that ends well this is so this is like the third time that we've brought up where like maybe the fourth time that we brought up where record companies are just buying drugs and this isn't like people to say i'm like addicted 
Yeah. So they, they can just keep going. This isn't like the 60s either where we didn't like we were putting cocaine and soda like this is the <laughs> 80s. We know better. Is that what they were doing in the 60s? <laughs> we put cocaine and soda, okay? In like the 1900s, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I didn't know that trend was still going. <laughs> I mean, we were dosing housewives with sedatives, but that's another story. Well, yeah, that's true too. Um, So... By the time they finish their second album, Shot at the Devil, they all are in love with drugs and management just keeps buying it for them. Yeah. But they eventually like, but they eventually get a spot like permanently opening for Ozzy on the entire Bark at the Moon tour, which is the tour where Ozzy snorts a line of ants because he ran out of cocaine that morning. And like... The boys are crazy, but they were intimidated by Ozzy's craziness. You know, I, I think the more I think about that, because we've covered it a couple of times, the more I think about it, the more I think it's a power move by Ozzy to be like, oh, you think you're fucking crazy? Well, that is You ca- think you're fucking crazy? That is kind of what happened. So the ant incident, um, they were like standing around the pool talking about drugs and Ozzy's just like, you know what? Fuck it. And snorts a line of ants. Well, then they get into this like match of whose balls are bigger and Ozzy pees and licks up his own urine. Yeah. And he's like, Nikki, you do it. And Nikki's like, oh, fuck, I got to do it because <laughs> because Ozzy's going to think I'm I'm a baby if I don't. And he's done so much to make our band famous. And before he can go down and do it, because he was going to do it, Ozzy just blamed down and did it again. Oh, God. But. Oh. but all of this shenanigans stops the day that Sharon Osbourne joins the tour. Oh, thank God for Sharon Osbourne, man. It, things calm down to the point where the crew boys eventually name it the No Fun Tour <laughs> and had custom <laughs> shirts made up and gave one to Ozzy. <laughs> I love it so much. Sharon was like a mom and the mom they needed. She wasn't like the nurturing mom. She's like, get your shit together. You're making money. If Sharon stayed with the Motley Crew boys, things may have been different. Yeah. Uh, they didn't. They needed a Sharon. Um. So they drop shot at the devil, and they start to explode in a big way. Like they would show up to play these shows in towns that they'd never even heard of. Like you know middle of nowhere in Iowa. Yeah. And like thousands of people would already be at the venue when the tour bus pulled up and just waiting for them. Like, you know, you're screaming girls. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to promote the album, they ended up doing a tour. They did monsters of rock tour with Van Halen and ACDC in England. And for some unknown reason, the band went through this phase <laughs> where they would just bite each other. <laughs> And uh, they would do it. Like, are we talking love bites here? They find the bite. They would bite so hard they would break the skin. Fucking fuck. But just like in a playful way. Oh, because you know, biting skin till you bleed is definitely playful. That's that's up there. But (laughs) one night, Nikki didn't know. He thought that it was a member of his band and actually went up and bit Eddie Van Halen's guitar hand. (laughs) and um it got like screamed at by van halen's wife and another night he accidentally bit angus young on the neck (laughs) as you can imagine cocaine was involved a lot on this tour (laughs) um so they go on that insane tour where they're obviously having these drug issues and personal space issues 
And immediately after that tour, they, they don't even get a week off. They have to go on another tour to open for Iron Maiden. And they're just insane. Like, Nikki says he was living so recklessly that he was convinced he was going to die before he's 25. Yeah. He's 22 at this point. Like... It's, he was on his way. I don't know how... Oh, I put this quote in here. We were fucked up, but we were worshipped for it. Words like consequences, responsibility, morality, and self-control did not apply to us. Or so we thought. Mm -hmm. The year is 1984. Motley Crue and... I should have looked at it, but I never asked this. Hold on. There you go. You guys are so warm. This is the best part of podcasting is having a dog by your side to keep you warm. Let us consult Wikipedia how to pronounce this. Thank you. Okay, so the boys of... The year is 1984. The boys of Motley Crue and Hanoi Rocks, which are another band, are having a barbecue. And by barbecue, I don't mean a bunch of guys standing around grilling hot dogs. Yeah. I mean a three-day bender. Like, to the point where some of the, the crew boys were, like, crawling off into closets to have a nap because they hadn't slept in so long. Because, you know, that's what my family barbecues are like. <laughs> yeah. A three day party. They're all stoned and drunk out of their fucking minds. Yeah. But Vince decides to take the Hanoi drummer, whose name is Razzle, to the liquor store to go get more beer. And instead of walking the literal mile and a half that it was to the liquor store, he's like, let's go out for a drive in my brand new no. Pantera. Like I said, Vince is drunk and stoned out of his mind. Oh, no. And Vince crashes the car. Razzle dies on impact. They, uh, the rest of the party, like, hears this happen because it's so close to the house that they're partying at. They walk outside. They just see Vince sitting on the side of the road, just like shell shocked. They're like, where's Razzle? Where's Razzle? Vince is like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what happened. Oh my god! I don't. I, he he was so out of it. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the police showed up. He blew a blood alcohol content of point one seven, meaning wow. he got his ass arrested and thrown yeah. in jail. He was eventually charged with vehicular manslaughter. He was released on bail before the trial. Um, and as part of like trying to make a deal when he went to court, they checked Vince into rehab, which theoretically was to make him better because he had addiction problems but it really just set the whole band like it started the downward spiral yeah because the band thinks that vince has a problem but vince thinks the whole band abandoned him because they just shut him in rehab without talking to him right he eventually did plead guilty to his manslaughter charge and was sentenced to 30 days in jail a 2.6 million dollar restitution and 200 200 hours of community service which he ended up serving while he was on tour because he would lecture at schools about the dangers of drunk driving. Okay. Uh, And he served his jail sentence, but he got released after 19 days for good behavior. But at the same time that Vince says all this shit happening, Nikki falls into a drug-fueled depression because he thought that they had achieved all of their success. They were going to get was shot at the devil and they were never going to be famous again. So we got two sad boys on drugs. And they're not talking to each other. And now it's only going to get worse. So once Vince serves his 
jail sentence, they're like, okay, let's work on a new album. And they want to call it Theater of Pain. <laughs> because at the time, Nikki was really into researching the relationship between theater, politics, and culture from the olden days when entertainers who failed to make a king laugh would be put to death. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's better than, it's better than uh, Black Magic, so. I'll take Theater Pain better than... Um, Knives sticking themselves into walls. Yes. The first song that they recorded was Home Sweet Home, which perfectly captures the feelings that all of them had at the time of being alone, desperate, confused, not knowing where home was, being on the road all the time. Um, and they recorded it first, but they re-recorded it like something ridiculous, like 25 times because they were never happy with how they recorded it. Yeah. Um, I don't know why this bullet's here. So ever since, like I said, ever since the accident, the four of them kind of just started to split. They were really, really close before that, but they start to live more private lives. Um, and when they toured theater of pain, they kind of made Vince the outsider. Like they treated him like a bad guy. He's on probation because he got arrested. And so all the, the other three of them could go out and do all the cocaine, heroin and alcohol they wanted. But if Vince took a sip of beer, they'd be like, what are you doing? You can't do that. Yeah. And so it ended up just being like Vince sitting alone in a hotel room every night and the other three partying to the point where they don't know where they are. They don't know who they are half the time. Like mm -hmm. they in Japan, they cause this huge scene and offend a bunch of people. But Vince is the bad guy. Yeah. In all of this. Um, but because everyone is so focused on Vince and making sure he doesn't break his probation, no one really noticed how much of a drug problem Nikki had. Like at one point he started carrying a syringe in his boots so that he would have one ready to go at any time oh, of day. Uh, his favorite hobby became mixing whatever drugs and alcohol he could find to see what happened to his body, which is not a good pastime to pick up. Totally healthy. Um, so like I said, they're on tour all the time and the tour for this album was pretty successful. Uh, but the video for which tour are we on? We're on theater of pain. Whatever single video they released first, I f did not write it down. Got so many requests on MTV that MTV had to institute an expiration date for new videos to get people to stop requesting. It. <laughs> uh, so you can thank Motley Crue for MTV roles. So like I said, Nikki has a drug problem. Yeah. And one night, it, Nikki had one rule. He would obviously take whatever, do whatever, mix whatever. But his one rule is he would never let someone else shoot him up. And mm -hmm. one night he broke that rule and he let his dealer shoot him up. And his dealer, as soon as he did it, thought that Nikki died and threw him into a dumpster behind his house Holy and left shit. him there. But Nikki did not learn his lesson because two nights later he was back to getting stoned. Oh, God. Um, they eventually finish this tour and right as they come off tour, Tommy gets married to his first celebrity wife, Heather Locklear. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Yes. Which is notable a, because it's Heather mm -hmm. and B because Nikki was the best man at the wedding and was shooting up heroin in the bathroom, which did Classy. not earn a lot of good blood between him and Tommy for some time. Uh, when he got back from that wedding, Nikki had a letter from his accountant letting him know that he was spending $5,000 a day on heroin. A day? A day, which is $140,000 a month. His accountant told him he had 11 months before he went either went completely broke or died. 
Wow. So this actually prompts Nikki to check into rehab for the first time. It does not last. Yeah. Uh, this this is here just because it's chronologically, but around this time, our buddy Tom, who signed Motley Crue, he moves on to a new record label and signs Guns N' Roses. Oh. Dude has a spot for picking chaotic bands. Yeah. So they move on to their next album, which I think is we're at album number four now. And it's Girls, 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 which is a fantastic album. Uh, well, it did have the potential to be a really good record, but the band was so dysfunctional that I think to the outsider, they can't really hear the dysfunction. But when they listen back to their own work, they know the amount of separation and fighting that was going on between them. And they acknowledge that because at this point, Vince is a raging alcoholic. Mick is a raging alcoholic due to the depression and the pain from his arthritis. Nikki's constantly strung out on heroin. And Tommy's just vibing and missing Heather on tour, but still doing drugs. Yeah. The drugs do not take a break on the Girls, Girls, Girls tour. They're all so bad that they literally had a drug kingpin following the tour bus to deal to them every Holy time they got off. That was one well-paid kingpin. Oh, yeah. He was... He didn't need any other clients. Yeah. If Nikki's driving $5,000 a day, he's, he's, he's doing fine. good. Um, After six months of touring, which no one should be touring for six months straight anyway. Yeah. But... So six months of touring, they come back to their jet one night to find a note from Steven Tyler and Joe Perry who I think that they were playing a similar circuit at the time, who had written them letters to say, you guys are crashing. We recognize it. We've been there ourselves. We want to help you. That's nice. They tore up the letter and threw it away. Oh, and laughed it off. They're like, we're fine. No, you're not. Uh, December of that tour, they're in Japan. And while they're there, Nikki just pays this random street side fortune teller to, to read his palm or whatever. And this is December 21st. And she says, you're going to die before the end of this year if you do not change your ways. This lady has no context. I mean, she may recognize him as Nikki Six, but yeah. like, she's just a random street fortune teller in Japan. Uh, so like I said, that's December 21st. He flies home, goes to a party, shoots up some heroin and dies. Jeez. His heart stops. He wakes up in the back of an ambulance where they have had to shoot two syringes of adrenaline into his heart to bring him back to life. Like wow. homeboy was dead, but so he, he died, but not really kind of. Yeah. But thanks. <laughs> Communication in the eighties was not great because somehow things got miscommunicated to the rest of his band and management. And they end up telling everyone that Nikki was dead and canceling the European tour. Uh Oh, which they probably needed to cancel the tour anyway. Yeah. But um, but he's actually alive. Yeah, his band members all think he's dead, and then like, a couple hours later, they're like, "Oh, sorry, no, he's actually not dead." Like the other guys are like crying. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, Nikki did not stop using drugs. Oh my gosh, this dude needs help. But management recognizes that they're all four really fucked up. Like yeah. they cannot keep going back on tour like this, and so they send them off to four separate rehabs. But then they decide, hmm. Maybe they should all go to rehab together and like work out their shit with each other. And so they do that. And three of them, all but Mick, Mick doesn't believe in therapy or in counseling. That sounds like a very Mick thing. I told you. Grumpy old man. Yeah. The three of the other three, Tommy, Nikki and um, Vince kind of get through some of the walls and they like 
recognize that they have a lot of shit between them. Yeah. They're using the drugs as a coping mechanism. They all kind of had shitty childhoods, you know. Right. Therapy stuff. But as you can imagine, with all of this drama, they have lots of great content for another album. <laughs> so album number five, Dr. Feelgood. The quintessential single off of this album is Kickstart My Heart, which was written about the time Nikki died. I was about to say, was that written about, about Yes. Him? So if you did not know, Kickstart My Heart is literally about the time that Nikki died. Also, I do have to say as I'm listening to this, I feel like most bassists are not this wild. That's why I like, said Nikki's the main character in this band. Yeah, like Mick, if you told me he was a bassist, I was like, yep, I understand that. Like, yep. But Nikki, like this is lead guitar or lead singer yes. shit. Oh, don't worry. Lead singer's about to have some shit happen to him. But I mean, he killed a guy. Oh, accidentally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot he about that. He accidentally killed a guy. But the Nikki, Nikki's autobiography is called heroin diaries so yeah yeah he he had quite the experience okay so now that they're all sober for the first time like ever yeah uh they had a true recording experience in a studio with a actual producer who like did the thing where they like play these four bars now play it again yeah now play it again now play it again and they didn't really like it but they need it they needed it but it also, they, I mean, they're all detoxing. They're all like learning how to cope with their feelings for the first time in 10 years. They're at each other's throats. There's on each other's nerves. Tempers are hot. Uh, but the album comes out fantastic. Mm -hmm. Does great. Before, after they finish the album, but like before it drops, our buddy Doc takes the band to Moscow as part of the Moscow Music Festival. With the Winds of Change? With Ozzy Scorpions. Osbourne and the Scorpions and Bon Jovi. We may come back and talk about this because I want to talk about the Scorpions eventually. But in the time being, go listen to the podcast Winds of Change for yes. all of your context on the Moscow Music Festival and how it's it may be a CIA conspiracy theory. Yeah. That's a story for another time. Um, but long story short, Doc was found guilty of smuggling drugs into the U.S. and basically putting on this festival as a symbol of goodwill to communist Russia was how he got out of jail. So, yeah, that seems totally legal. But, you know, whatever it was. This was the first. Interestingly enough, this was the first time that the band played any of the Dr. Feelgood songs live hmm. was in Moscow. Uh, fun other fun fact that doesn't get mentioned in the podcast that I remember so you need a permit to get pyrotechnics into Russia and Bon Jovi set some off during their show which Motley Crue was pissed about because Doc didn't tell them that they were smuggling illegal pyrotechnics into the <laughs> country we got one dude on probation from jail already other three yeah. are in hot water from being oh that's true in rehab so they fire doc over the fact that he smuggles pyrotechnics that's into Russia. Way to lose him. um so they fly back home and then later that fall on october 3rd on tommy's 27th birthday the news broke that dr feelgood debuted as a number one album like Aww. can you imagine a better birthday present that's nice than coming home and finding out that that your album's number one yeah uh, obviously they have to go on tour again. When are they not touring? Right. 
But this tour is actually a lot less chaotic than past tours. Uh, for the first time, they operated like a well-oiled machine instead of four wild animals. I didn't even mention it back in the previous section, but like they were banned from so many hotels. Mm-hmm. They would just destroy shit for no reason. Like right. they would throw phones out the window because they felt like it. Uh, Mick didn't like people sneaking in his room at night because they would all play pranks and bother each other so he would sprinkle flour all over the hotel carpet outside of his room so he could follow the footprints back to the people who bothered him he's smart he is smart grumpy but smart um so they're not doing that kind of stuff on this tour yeah but the fans are at an all-time high they know every word to every song and for the first time ever the band was sober enough to appreciate it so that's pretty good uh, the tour went on for a year because we can't have normal tour schedules in the 80s. No. And as you can imagine, they got really tired of being around each other and really tired of being sober and all went back to their old habits. Yeah. So after the Dr. Feelgood tour, they're so just strung out and tired. They've been touring for three years with not even, I'm not even kidding, like not no longer stretches in three weeks off, which is not healthy no, it's and not, not sustainable. They go back into the studio to try to record a follow-up to Dr. Feelgood and Vince quits the band. He's like, I've had enough. I don't, you guys are, you all hate me. I hate you. Bye. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the short version. So they audition and hire a replacement. His name's John Karabi. For some reason, they call him Crab. That's <laughs> not even close well, to his last I mean, name. Karabi is kind of a Italian pronunciation of Crab. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Um, and around this same time, as the band falls apart, all four of their marriages fall apart. Convenient. John obviously comes in and starts writing music because he's in the band now. And he writes this song called Uncle Jack, which is on the, the following, the next album, which they ended up naming the next, their sixth album, Motley Crue, which seems like a weird time to name a self-titled album, yeah. but whatever. Uh, he wrote the song because he was inspired by his creepy ass uncle who molested his brothers and sisters who went to jail. He got let out of jail because they thought the other inmates were going to kill him. Boo hoo. Yeah. Got a job at a Catholic school and continued to do the same thing until he got arrested again. So John wrote the single and was like, guys, I really want to write this song. We have a lot of money or you guys have a lot of money. He doesn't because he's been in the band for like five minutes, but he's like, I want to donate all the money from this song to centers for abused children. That's nice. And that's like the best thing John did for the band. He's not here a long time. Yeah. Um, so theater of pain, which was their third album. If I remember correctly, cost less than $200,000 to make. Dr. Feelgood took 600,000 after 14 months. Motley Crue had spent $2 million on a new record. That's a lot of money. There's a lot of drama that went into making this record. I mean, yeah. Vince quit. The week it came out, it entered the charts at number 27. Oh, no. Or at number seven. But the next week it dropped to 28 and it never came back up. Yeah. So they did not make their $2 million back. That's not good. So while the band's doing all this new stuff and like hanging out with Crab and all this stuff, yeah. Vince is going off on this like insane midlife crisis he like just disappears to hawaii for a couple months drinking doing drugs mm-hmm. um he does eventually snap out of it because of his daughter he 
records a solo album, which started to mix rap music with rocket music eight years before Limp Biscuit did. <laughs> <laughs> Originator. Uh, popping back over to Motley Crue at this time. The tour did not go well, as you can imagine, for yeah. a band that lost their lead singer that fans knew and loved. And only about a thousand people were showing up to these oh, arena shows. No. So they played a couple very disappointing dates and um, they wound up canceling the tour. Like they're not selling a month into it. It wasn't worth it. They kind of got like bummed out because without Vince, they, they kind of lost the thing that gave them, gave them their special Motley Crue spark. Um, right. They also did not sound remotely the same because Vince has this very high, like, reedy whiny voice yeah and karabi's voice is like really it's like the polar opposite of vince's voice and so fans were like this isn't the motley crew i like yeah fuck this it's always hard when a singer leaves you know yeah they can't really hard you're not gonna sound the same yeah you're just not the only i feel like there's been a few bands that have like really gone with it and that's queen yeah queen there's no one who can replace freddie but adam was the correct choice yes um, so like I said, none of them are speaking to Vince cause they're all mad at him. But a couple years later, they find out that his daughter's, well, they thought this was what was happening, that his daughter's appendix burst and she had slipped into a coma and oh. died. Turned out that it wasn't her appendix that burst. Um, it was actually a cancerous tumor that had wrapped around her intestines. <sighs> she went through some intense treatments for cancer, but passed away very shortly after her diagnosis. She was only four years old. Oh, that's terrible. Um, at this time, as you can imagine, Vince starts drinking heavily again. Yeah. He's, he's just really, really, really depressed and really grieving. Yeah. Well, it's understandable. Um, he checks into rehab, which is more to help him process his grief than to actually deal with his addiction. Um, and he made it his life's mission to figure out how she got cancer. It turns out that the section of Malibu they lived in called Simi Valley was used as a chemical dumping ground and rocket testing site. And since then, more than 200,000 people have filed a lawsuit against the company that did this because they've had loved ones die of cancer. Wow. So at this point, Vince is fucked up. Motley Crue is fucked up and nobody's happy. So what happens? Motley Crue fires their entire management staff. Because that's a good decision. Yeah. Which, to be fair, uh, I think I put it in here in exact words, but um, basically their management at Electra was ba- was like, we're going to pay for you to make this album, then we're not going to promote it, and then we're going to yell at you because of it. That's the simplified version. Mm-hmm. So they said, we're going to go get a new label then, if that's how you're going to do this. So they hire a new manager, his name's Alan Kovac, and they picked him specifically because he's the one that brought Duran Duran back from the brink of extinction. This is also the time that Tommy married Pamela Anderson after literally knowing her for five days. He like met her through a friend of a friend, kept sending her voicemails on her answering machine. She wouldn't answer. Finds out where she's working in Mexico after she explicitly says, do not follow me. I'll hang out with you when I get back. Yeah. And they get fucking married in Mexico. Was she famous by then? Or yeah, was she-, she was on Baywatch. Okay. She was on Baywatch. Yep. That's just so fascinating because like no one had prep time to know they were dating. No, he like, literally came oh, back from Mexico married. Tom, Tommy Lee and uh, Pam Anderson tied the knot. They tried to keep it secret. 80s paparazzi was a different breed. 
It was not kept secret. Yeah. That actually was one of the things that put a lot of stress in their marriage was because the paparazzi would not leave them alone. Yeah. Like they would have to send out Pamela's assistant in a blonde wig and hope that the paparazzi followed her and her car before they left the house. Wow. They were so invested in their business. Anyway, that really has nothing to do with the actual band. It's just fascinating. So the next album, they really wanted to fire John because they don't, they, he doesn't just, he just not, isn't working. Mm-hmm. But due to some legalities with the record company, things get really messy. The producer that they've hired decides that Nikki's outdated and needs to stop calling the shots in the band and says Tommy needs to do the most of the songwriting. So they keep John on. Tommy writes most of the songs along with John. Nikki's sitting, patting in the corner or whatever. And they wind up with a weird Beatles slash Alice in Chains type album that they all hated. They called it Generation Swine. Oh, geez. They wanted to call it Personality Number 9 because they felt like it was a schizophrenic record and has no like yeah. cohesiveness, but management made them change it. So, like I said, they weren't getting along anyway. This album did not do good. Things were so like he said, she said right. with uh, management pitting the band against each other, which seems like the last thing you would want as a manager, but whatever. So this is where things get blurry. There are four different accounts in the book of this happening. It's debatable whether John left or John got fired. Right. But somehow John is no longer part of the band, depending mm-hmm. on who you, le- who you ask. And Alan Kovac is like, let's bring Vince back. While they're debating about Vince coming back, a sex tape of Tommy and Pamela gets leaked to the press. Oh. By one of Tammy's former assistants. Ooh. Who stole it from the house when the house was being remodeled. Like Tommy and Pamela left the house for a couple of weeks. Yeah. They left it locked in a safe that someone had to break into. They and were one on day, a vendetta. Yeah. One day they just came home and they found, or they opened the news and they were like, Hey, your sex tapes on the TV. That sucks. So I, I remember there was a sex tape involved, but that kind of, that just sucks, man. It really sucks. She probably was getting paid to do it too. Oh, you know, she made money off of that. Yeah. Um, I also, I wanted to put this in here just because a, it's like a famous incident that happened with Tommy, but the lawyers and judges were really shitty because they ruled that the tape was allowed to be sold, even though it was stolen property because it was newsworthy because it was two celebrities. No. How is that legal? That's not. That's ridiculous. I, I read that and I was like, what? Anyway, that has nothing to do with what's happening in the band, but it happened at the same time they're bringing Vince back. Yeah. Um, so they're still like, they bring Vince back. They tour the Generation Swine album. They fight. They eventually work out their shit with Vince, I guess. Right. Oh, wait, no, sorry. They don't work it out yet. They're touring the Generation Swine album. The record label, they're still with Elektra. They have not left at this point. They're still just hating them. Things are weird. To the point where Nikki would have the audience chant, fuck Elektra during every show. (laughs) So this prompts Vince to quit the band again. Oh, man. But only for like five hours. Because Nikki goes over to his house and they have like a really sincere heart to heart 
they cry they resolve a lot of their personal issues they clear like 10 years of bad air between the two of them and they're bros again hmm. so we stand men who work out their feelings absolutely. with each other absolutely unfortunately right as the band is getting back together tommy sentenced to six months in jail because of a domestic disturbance charge between him and pamela i'm not gonna go into what happened because they're two very different sides of the story personally i don't feel like he deserved to go to jail for at all especially not six months but whatever yeah um while in jail tommy wrote a bunch of letters to pamela he did a lot of therapy on the phone in jail and it led him to wanting to produce a solo album. Um, and he got out of jail and the band just wanted to go back on tour, but he and Vince never cleared the air between them. Tommy and Vince still had this like really volatile relationship. And on this, this tour, they get in a huge fight. They punch each other, which, uh, Tommy ended up having to beg Vince not to press charges because it violated his probation from being in jail for domestic abuse. And he says, find a new drummer. Bye. And Mm. leaves the band. So they ended up replacing him for a little while with Ozzy Osbourne's drummer, Randy Castillo. And they released a new album called New Tattoo. Uh, I believe Tommy played on it before he left. It may have been Randy. It really doesn't matter to the point of the story. Um... But because the band can't catch a break, when they go to tour this album, Castillo gets cancer and can't tour. Ugh. So they bring in former Hall drummer Samantha Maloney. Hell yeah, female drummer. Nice. For this tour. Sadly, Randy Castillo lost his fight with cancer. And soon afterward, the band just went on hiatus. They're like, yeah, whatever, we're done. In 2001, they resurfaced briefly to release The Dirt, which is co-authored by all four of the band members. Um, it, it went onto the top... It went into the New York Times bestseller list and spent 10 weeks there and actually popped back up two years ago. Three years ago now, I guess. Interesting. 2019 when the film adaptation came out. Oh, okay. So they released that book in 2001... But they've been quiet for a very long time and they continue to be quiet until December 2004 because they have to be the most extra people in the world. (laughs) They announce a reunion tour and they don't just like announce it. Facebook was a thing. They don't announce it on Facebook or a normal way. They stage this whole announcement event in which they show up at the Hollywood Palladium in a hearse. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um... In 2004, to promote that that reunion tour, they go on an episode of The Tonight Show. Vince Neil accidentally yelled fuck during the performance, which led to an FCC investigation. (laughs) I'm surprised they made it that long without an FCC investigation. Yeah. But this resulted in NBC banning the band. Just for a a one F word? Yes. Um, Which the band then countersued because they said they were being unfairly punished, which they were. To be fair... Well, this is 2004. I feel like if that happened today, it wouldn't be as harsh. This is roughly around the time of the Janet Jackson boob incident. So yeah. The FCC was very sensitive. Yeah. Um, they eventually settled out of court and they are no longer banned from NBC. Oh, that's nice. 
they hosted a Motley cruise in 2008, which I only put in here because that's the best name for a cruise. That's I've ever amazing. Heard. They were doing cruises before that became like band cruises is now a thing. Yeah, it's a huge thing. They've hosted a bunch of them since 2008, but they were one of the first ones with the Motley cruise. Uh, in 2012, they were in a Kia Super Bowl commercial with supermodel Adriana Lima, which I guarantee you will remember if you watch it. Um, in 2015, they announced that they would be ending their touring career forever with a series of shows. It went on for like a year long thing. Yeah. Uh, they toured around the world. It ended with three concerts back to back to back at Staples Center in LA on December 28th. 30th and 31st and i just had to put in here that my boys the struts opened for their last four shows oh really they were hand-picked by nikki six really it comes up in every like corporate interview um but yeah there's also tons of bootlegged recordings of these shows because they're supposed to be their last ever yeah. so they had like a pro shot um some kind soul has put them all on youtube in 2018 vince neal started to hint on twitter that Motley Crue was recording four new songs. Mm -hmm. This was confirmed by Nikki Six, who expounded on those rumors and said that the new material was going to be for the film adaptation of The Dirt, produced by Netflix. Um, they had to come back out and clarify that the contract they signed that said they would no longer tour did not count out new music. They were not violating their contract by recording new music. Yeah. Movie came out in March 2019. I came out the week of my birthday. I remember watching it. Like I said, do not watch with your parents. This is your <laughs> warning. Um, it stars Machine Gun Kelly as Tommy Lee. Machine Gun Kelly's in that? He is Tommy Lee. He also, they recorded a new, like one of the new songs they recorded is The Dirt. It's called The Dirt. Yeah. Um, he stars on it. Like he's a guest star on oh, it. Oh, really? I actually really like the song. Um, and Pete Davidson plays Tom the record really <laughs> yes i forgot that until i read it on wikipedia and i was like that makes sense on november 18th of 2019 rolling stone magazine reported that all four band members had agreed to come back together for a tour utilizing a loophole in their cessation of touring contract um you know they wrote that loophole in there in case they ever decided they wanted yeah. to tour again 100 percent but later that day, I, I remember this very distinctly because I freaked out about it. They posted a video on all their social accounts that literally blew up the touring contract. One of the best comebacks I've ever yes. seen. I remember watching that in the office. Yes, it was. I was I was having a day um, and they officially announced that Motley Crue would embark on a stadium tour with Def Leppard, Poison and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts in summer of 2020. But we all know how that went. God said no. <laughs> you you honor your contracts. <laughs> this is the real reason behind the coronavirus. <laughs> Wait, the world could not handle another Motley Crue tour. <laughs> um, so that is where we're at with Motley Crue. There, I have to say, I was very, 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 very excited for this tour, and then I went and watched videos of what Vince Neil sounds like now. Yeah, and no disrespect to the man because he's obviously had a but lot. But when of you come from a high pitch. And then you put drugs. Oh, it's and not even here. that. That's the problem. My man can't breathe anymore. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll show you a video after this. That is, it's, it's so you can't understand him. Like he yeah. literally sounds like he's speaking an alien language now. Oh geez. And like I know he's had a lot of abuse issues, and he's he's older now, but so has Steven Tyler, and the man still has breath control. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Um, now that we've had no concerts for a year and a half, I'm b- it's back on the table for me going because I'd love to see Def Leppard again. I love to see Poison. I love to see Joan Jett. So I would, like Joan Jett would be cool. So. I could suffer through old Vince Neil for the rest of those. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the saga of Motley Crue. There is so much more to be covered in the book. Um, yeah, like you said. probably only did a flyby of it. Oh yeah, there's so there's so much more to be covered. Um, yeah, like I said, proceed with caution. There's a, a little bit of misogyny, a lot of drugs, a lot of sex, a lot of rock and roll. Yeah. But worth the read. I think it's important to get into the band's mind of like how they were thinking about things when they were doing them and why they did what they did and mm-hmm. how they they all honestly have grown as people. Right. They're not the same 20 year old dumbasses that they were when they started. Yeah. Um, Nikki Six has a side project now. It's called 6AM. They write a lot of songs that raise money for like rehab centers and stuff that's nice so he's very much anti-drugs now that's good he's like 20 years sober so good for him thank you for listening you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, google play and spotify you also can leave us a review what do you think of motley crew let us know in a review uh, special thanks to death of fawn for our intro riff you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. You also can join our Facebook group. Just look up She Will Rock You Fam and we will be there posting ridiculous shit like we always do. You can also follow us individually at Beth Ann Tarpley or at LeahElizabeth.J. Send us an email and tell us what you think at She Will Rock You Podcast at gmail.com. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.